0: Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for time with your people. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your spirit that fills us, that dwells within us, that animates us, Father, to be the kind of people that you have called us to be. And so, Father, may the words that come out of my mouth today and out of my heart be words that are beneficial and from you, that help equip the church to be who she's called to be. Father, be with Leslie as he heals, and be with others who are battling sickness as well today. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. The other thing I should tell you is I was scheduled to preach next Sunday, and this sermon that I'm going to preach today is not that sermon. It made a whole lot more, to We just go ahead and switch it all up, all right? Yeah, I thought before we went there, we needed to go here, so I'm not sure who has next Sunday. It may be Leslie back up here, but here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you just to pause for a second. Maybe again, Owen has already mentioned the word pause in his communion thoughts. Just pause. Take a deep breath if you have it today. And I simply want you to do this. I want you to consider the purpose and the motivation for discipleship. Really, the question of just why. I don't know if you you think about this often. I don't know if you've even thought about it as we've been making our way through this particular message series this year. But just pause and think. Consider what is the purpose and what is the motivation behind discipleship. Okay. And here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that there is so much work to be done. There is plenty of work. There is plenty of work for you and I and others who are on God's mission to join in on. And so as I say that, I'm just going to play a video for you. Just reflect on the words that are said and spoken over this video this time.
1: Look around you. There's so much work to do this world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch there is a tangible desperate need for jesus a glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness jesus experienced this he saw it firsthand the need broke his heart and filled him with compassion he turned to his disciples and said the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few this alone should stir our hearts it's a calling a calling to make a difference to share the truth of the gospel to be a light in the darkness to be The church, it's time for us to look beyond ourselves, to turn our focus to the field, to answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work?
0: The last line in that conversation is simply, what does it look like for you and I to look beyond ourselves? To look out. And I want to suggest that you just reflect for a second just on some of the words that you heard, some of the phrases that you heard, which really have everything to do with participation. And our participation is what comes as a result of us looking outward and beyond from who we are. The narrator said things like this to prompt say, look around. Just pause and look around. Oh, and you mentioned that in your, your conversation as well too. That The world, it's nothing new, but it is in a state of disorientation. There's plenty to watch on the news. There's plenty going on even just in this city. Look around, the narrator would say. Um, Consider the condition of the world. Consider its status. Consider what is happening, the things that are occurring. And then consider that there are lost people who do not really know who Jesus is. And you do. Consider that there are people in this world who are hopeless. They do not have hope. Their circumstances have brought them to the point that they can see no future beyond where they are right now. There is no hope. So consider that there are people, students, there are people you walk and navigate in school with every day who have no hope. They may not express it that way, but you walk with them. And then the narrator suggests this should just maybe stir our hearts and say that it broke the heart of jesus does it break our hearts so i want to suggest three things as we get rolling this morning and that is that disciples of jesus are attentive and aware Therefore, when we look around, we notice. That's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. Disciples are people who are attentive and aware. It also means that this, disciples of Jesus are concerned. So when you and I look around and scan and notice, it hurts, or it should hurt. It should stir our hearts that the condition of the world is as it is. And then, disciples of Jesus, as a result, are compassionate towards this, are our hearts stirred at the condition of the brokenness that we encounter. So here we go. As we consider the purpose and the motivation of discipleship, I realize it can be pretty overwhelming. Hey, just for fun, just for a show of hands, how many of you have been overwhelmed this past week just by the news alone, just by by the news? Anybody? Three of you. Oh, several. Several. Uh, my guess is if we really got raw about it, there's quite a few more of you, maybe all of us, who can easily be overwhelmed by the stuff that we take in. By the way, uh, social scientists and psychiatrists and psychologists will all say this. Our we, our brains, our humanness is not designed to take all of this in on a regular basis. We're not supposed to. We're not designed for it. So it can be overwhelming, all right? So no one, here's here maybe, uh, maybe something to make you feel a little bit better. No one can do everything. Megan, you're not expected to. No one can do everything, but I want to suggest this, that everyone in this room, everyone who is an earshot of this conversation, everyone can do something. And the way I see it, we basically have three options when it comes down to our approach to what's happening in this world. Number one, you and I can escape We literally can move and turn away from what is happening in this world and say, I just don't care. I don't have a heart for it. I don't care. It's not about me. It's not my hurt. It's someone else's hurt. And you and I can run and we can escape the things that are going on. It is an option. Okay? We can assimilate. thought about you. I know you're smiling right at me. I thought about the Borgs from Star Trek when I thought about assimilation. You and I can assimilate. We can just become like this world. It's effortless. Or we can engage. You and I can move toward the world in love, which I think is a really good theology. Also, I think it's really biblical. Also, I think it's very much Christ like because Jesus' very incarnation was to come in close proximity with this world and to engage. He didn't run. He didn't escape it. He certainly didn't assimilate into it. And so what I want to suggest is that you and I, we play an essential role, a vital role in this journey. You and I are on a mission. We have a purpose. It's the entire conversation we've been having on Sunday mornings. You and I are actually not passive in this conversation. We have a choice to be, but we are sent into this world. And I love this. You and I are sent into the sphere of influence where? we are what we have been given everybody in this room does something a little bit different there's a variety of your passions and your joys and your skill sets and so you have been given a space or a sphere to operate in so this goes for us as individuals and this also goes for us as an entire church body because every time paul writes a letter guess who it's written to usually the church so guess what we're in this together and so you and I as a church have an opportunity to look around to survey even where we are geographically in Sumner County, Hendersonville, Tennessee, this very community within a 5-mile radius, 10-mile radius, wherever it may be, we have an opportunity to look around to notice and to make a decision whether or not we are going to engage with the gifts that God has given us or not. Either we will or we won't. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. Paul says this about us. We are his workmanship. Your translation might say handiwork or masterpieces, uh, Poyema, Where's this beautiful thing that's been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is plenty of work to be done. And we have been given skills and talents and gifts to do so. One of my favorite New Testament writers, scholars, authors, however you want to say it, is a guy named Scott McKnight. He wrote a book called One Life. Jesus calls, we follow. And in this book, he poses quite a few questions for us regarding this one life. He says, what is it that consumes your life? What is it that when you find yourself drifting off during the day, what is it that you dream about? What do you dra- What do you daydream about? What do you want to do when your thoughts are just filled? What is it that you want to do? Where do you go? What are you dreaming about? And then he goes on to say this: What or who are you chasing? What or who are you pursuing? What or who are you following? And what or who are you seeking? These are the kind of questions he continues to ask. Then he says this. I love this question. Is that thing that you are after, whatever it is for everybody in here from the youngest person to the eldest person in this room, is that thing that you are after worth so much that you would be willing to give this one life for it? So I just pose the question back to you. What is it that you want to do with this one life what do you want to do what maybe the better question is what what will you do because you're going to do something with it you are doing something with it right you have a choice to make of what you're going to do with this one life what will you do with the talents and gifts that god has given you will we steward them Will we squander them no matter what field of occupation or vocation you choose? You have an opportunity to invest. And so what will you do with it? The choice is yours to make. So here's the question as we move deeper into this. As such, listen to the language real closely here. Will being a disciple make its way into the fabric of our lives Or not? Got it? Will it make it into the very fabric of who you and I say that we are? Because when it does, it's obvious. Would you agree? Scott, the same author of this book, is having a conversation with Craig Keener, Dr. Cloud. In his book, he has this conversation with Craig, who used to be an atheist. And they're having this conversation back and forth about his... Transition from atheism to Christianity. And here is what Craig said in his conversation with Scott. One of my non-scientific reasons for not following Jesus was that 80% of the people in my country claimed to be Jesus' followers, yet most of them live as if it makes no difference in their lives. He says, I see it. 80% of them claim it, but they don't live as if it makes any difference in their lives. And so he goes on to make this observation. He knows some genuine followers, but after studying the Gospels carefully, here's what the conclusion is that Craig came to. He said, I reasoned that if I believed that there was truly a being whom I owed my existence and alone determined my eternal destiny, I would serve that being unreservedly, without reservation, if that truly exists. And then he says he reasoned this, if these Christians did not really believe in Jesus, there was surely no reason for myself to do so. So what is it, if I were to ask you just to raise, raise your hands and me call on you, what is it that he was after? What is it that Keener was hoping to see in the lives of those that claim to be followers of Jesus? And I would say authenticity. I would say that authenticity means that you and I are who that we say that we are. If you cut us right down the middle, we are disciples through and through. We have credibility. We have tangible evidences in our lives that we say that we like this guy named Jesus and we've decided to follow him. Therefore, it manifests in who that we are. There's tangible evidence. So what does that look like? So if you are a note taker, this would be the first thing that I would suggest you this morning. Disciples of Jesus commit this one life to following him. That's the choice that we get to make. Disciples of Jesus commit to this one life of following him. I love what Kyle Eidelman says in his book, Not a Fan. Some of you have probably read Kyle's book. He says this, fans of Jesus are happy to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require any significant change or have any negative implications on my life. He goes on to say that followers of Jesus go where Jesus goes. In other words, it's not a part-time job. Students, how many of you have part time jobs? Raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody? One? Oh, excellent. One part time job. Um, you'll have some, don't worry. Here's what's great about part time jobs as I made my way through high school and college. You, maybe some of you will remember this. The greatest thing about part time jobs is the flexibility, right? And the limited demands. I could literally put on my uniform or my outfit, or my dirty clothes, or my uh, staff-recommended hat, my badge, whatever it is, and show up for the weekend on Friday and Saturday and take it right back off on Monday because it's just a part-time gig, bro. It doesn't matter. It's a part-time job, right? It does matter, okay? We'll come back to that here in a second. It does matter. Following Jesus is not a part-time gig. I wonder how often we find ourselves in that lane. Because Jesus says this those who are committed to this life, this one life of discipleship, they seek first kingdom of God this is Matthew six twenty five to 33 he's in this conversation on the Sermon on the Mount and he's talking about what to be what not to be anxious about he mentions birds and he's like why are you so anxious about all these things you don't even gain a you don't gain a single hour of your life by being anxious about these things and he goes on to say this oh you of little faith why do you why do you worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. In other words, Jesus says, I need you to prioritize your life around me. I need you to prioritize your life around the things that I'm passionate about. Put me first, put the kingdom first, is what he's saying. Paul would go on to say this in Colossians chapter 3. I love this language He says, those of you who have been raised with Christ Jesus, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things above, not things that are here on this earth. He'll also go on to say this, fix your attention. I love, if you've been around me for any amount of time, you have heard me use Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, in the message version, more than once. And there are people who will hear it again today after this. Okay? I love the way it's translated here. He says, here's what Paul says through this translation. Uh, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture or the world around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, the well-formed maturity that is in you because of Jesus Christ. Those who commit their lives or this one life to following Jesus, we seek the kingdom first. We're called to fix our attention. We're called to, um, as I said, we're called to uh, set our minds on things above So I have another question for you. Why are any of these postures essential whatsoever? And I would suggest it's because of where we actually live this one life out. Leslie has spent a lot of time talking about this world and talking about this culture. And here's just some phrases again that sum it up. The world is this system of ideas and values and morals and practices and social norms usually pushing us away from Jesus. That are integrated into the mainstream and institutionalized in a culture corrupted by sin. This world is broken. That is the world where you and I live this one life. That's why these postures matter. That's why Jesus said it would do you well to seek the kingdom first while you're here. Because here's what I, can, I can't guarantee you a whole lot. What I can guarantee you is that you, if you want to be distracted in this life, you can find it. Right? There are so many things that we can seek first. There are so many things that we can set our minds on and fix our attention on while we're here in this world. I love what John says in John 1 John 2. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of riches, comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever so again why does it even matter because you and i i'm convinced of this you and i become that which we seek you and i become that what we which we invest in wherever we put our time whatever we are prioritize our time in we become we become that which we love we become that which we worship so these postures matter because it determines who you and i are becoming but remember hear that not just as an individual hear this as a church It shapes who we are becoming as a church. So if you're a note taker, here's the second thing I would say. Disciples of Jesus are changed by their time with him. If you spend a significant amount of time with anybody, you are going to sound like them, think like them, talk like them, joke like them, process like they do if you spend enough time with them. It just happens. I love this. Discipleship is not about choosing our company but choosing the company of jesus so when you and i choose the company of jesus again we are choosing to become like him and the results the implications are vast so again i've asked this like three or four times why does any of that matter Why does it matter? What's the so what, right? So before you and I can begin even having a conversation about discipleship and what it looks like to disciple others, you and I have got to reach a point where you and I embrace what it means to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And This is where the rubber meets the road. We can have all the conversations about techniques and strategies and things of that nature, and it will do little good if we are not who we say that we are. Being a disciple of Jesus, it is essential to the Christian life. It's our essence. Go back and read anything for the Sermon on the Mount. And look at what Jesus says about who Christ followers are called to be and how differently they're called to be. It is a state of being. We discover what's involved in our Christian commitment, not of course, by reading books about it. I, I do recommend reading books about it. There's a lot of great books about it. But you and I don't discover what's involved by by simply reading about it, but by the daily effort to live in a way that allows Jesus to come through in our daily lives. Do you hear that? You live in such a way, you make the efforts that it comes through every bit of who you are in our daily lives. Then you and I are caught up in the task of showing that what we say is credible. And at that same time, it's the daily effort to be transparent to Christ that teaches us all over again what it means to actually say that you and I are Christians. To say that we are disciples of Jesus. And so here's what we've got to do. You and I, we must not be tempted to reduce discipleship to a mere format or program to follow. Yes, it involves conversations with other people. But it is so much more. It's about relationship. It's about a state of being it is our identity of g in our, our as followers of jesus so here's this considering our identity if i've laid this out remotely well this conversation should shape the way that you and i hear matthew chapter 28 16 through 20 here we go now the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had directed them And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word go... It's not a command in this, in this text. We've done all kinds of things with the word go. And going somewhere isn't the issue. But here's what the verb actually means. It means as you go about your life, as you're going, since you are already going, listen to this text again then. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, So, as you go about your life, as you interact, as you are on the go already, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. This is for all of us not just a, an elite group of people who go around having these conversations. If we are disciples of Jesus, it is who we are. So what are the implications of this conversation? Here's the, here's the most difficult question that, that we've asked all day. When, if, this is, if this is all valid and true, when are disciples of Jesus or Christians, when are we discipling? Anybody care to take a stab at it? What did you say, Joe? All the time. Always. It is the breath that we breathe when we are engaged in this one life and following Jesus, always, because followers devote this one life to the kingdom vision. Of Jesus, which allows us to see this world very differently and allows us to see our role in this world very differently. So here it is all put together. A disciple of Jesus is someone who commits this one life to following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is devoted to the kingdom vision of Jesus. So what does it mean always? I'm glad you asked. When you leave this room today and you find yourself at any or either of the Casa Viejas here in town, my personal preference is Dos Margaritas right across the street. We have friends over there. You may not go there. Maybe you go to Cheddar's. Maybe you're a fan of Sonic. Maybe you're just craving corn dogs today. I don't know. Wherever you go today, You're going to interact with a waitress or a waiter or a hostess. And you have an opportunity to speak to them and interact with them in such a way that is Christ-like or not. Many of you will go into jobs this week and you are either a supervisor or you are a boss who runs the whole thing or you own the whole thing. Whatever it may be. Maybe you're the administrator of a school. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a student. You're going to go and be somewhere in this world this week, and you have an opportunity to be who you say that you are. Which means that if you are a supervisor or an owner in a company, the way you treat your employees matters. Especially if you are called and you are a Christian and you are someone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus. If you are a coworker, the way you treat your co-workers when they're in front of you and when they're not in front of you has everything to do with you being a disciple. Those of us who work for others and the way we talk about those who are above us, this includes those conversations as well. Maybe you're a student and you're talking with teachers. Maybe you're a teacher and you're talking with students. Maybe you're simply in traffic. Maybe you are simply interacting with complete strangers, whatever it may be. Maybe you are a parent and you are disciplining your children. There is a way to do that in a Christ-like way. There is a way to navigate our marriages in a Christ-like way. All of these things are under this conversation. Every interaction, every relationship, every speech, every tone, every posture, everything about our mind. If we are aligned with Jesus and we begin to align more with Him, it affects everything of who we are, always. When are we discipling? When are we not? So, really, this whole thing's an invitation. So this week, as you considering following Jesus, and as you considering the world, and as you're, I'm I'm simply asking you to attentively look at the world. Notice the people around you. Be concerned about what you see, and be compassionate as you move towards the world. Here's some things I would love for you to do. Show up. Just show up. Interact with intentionality with the people that you come in contact with through speech, through action, whatever it may be. If you are a disciple of Jesus, show up and interact with intentionality. I love this. Meet people where they are. Set aside all of your assumptions and your judgment based on what you see and put it aside. Meet people where they are. Show up. Meet people where they are. Listen. Be curious. Ask questions about who they are and where they are. Then Walk with, accompany others. Walking with them, not against them, with them. As we walk along with them. I love this. Live this one life with expectancy. I would think that if we're people of God and if we are disciples of Jesus, that we expect for God to be on the move and we expect for God to be at work. And in fact, God is at work, so expect God to be at work. And then the question remains for the invitational piece. Will you and I join all the work that is out there for us to engage in? Will we see that what we do in this life is mission? Will we join his mission? Will we look for ways? Will we be intentional about it? I don't know where you are in this journey. We say that a lot. Some of you I do know, we have a lot of conversations, but I don't know where everyone is. I don't know what kind of questions you have. If you're like most of us, you have lots of questions. You want to know what it means to engage and what it means to um, support, but yet also to be a disciple of Jesus and love people well. And so maybe you're hearing some of this for the first time because maybe you've just stepped in here for the first time. I don't know. Maybe it's just a level of discipleship you haven't experienced yet and you're looking to follow Jesus in New and meaningful ways. Maybe you just need prayers. Because that's something that we also do as far as disciples of Jesus. We're compassionate with each other. That's the last thing I'll say. It includes us, right? How we treat each other in this room. We're not exempt from that. Go back and read most of the letters that Paul wrote to churches. (laughs) They had a few problems. We're, you know, our current age is not the first time that churches have struggled with things whatever you may need I would ask you what are you seeking and if you're searching and if you're seeking for Jesus you're searching for a new way of life and you want to put him on a baptism come on down and do it as we stand and sing